Welcome to the Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. You, are, are you guys old enough to remember 321 Contact? Mm, What's that? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know that at all. I'm so old. How old are you? <laughs> Shh. Do you want to say? I don't mind. Okay. You can uh, tell me after this. I, I'll off be air. 37 in August. Okay. How old? 37. Oh, you're not that old. It's not that yeah. Old. But it, what are you? You're like four years younger than me? Don't uh, tell me 10. Uh, <laughs> five. So, so that makes a big difference in what Chris we watched on younger. TV, though. Right. Right. Think of what you watched whenever you were in kindergarten versus fifth grade. Right. Or fifth grade versus tenth grade, so that makes yeah. And three, two, one contact. I think might have gone off the air. It was a Channel Nine show. That's where the Bloodhound Gang got their name. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't understand that reference. I'm seven years younger than you, though. So. Oh my gosh, you guys yeah. are babies. <laughs> I mean, technically, Chris is the youngest, so he's the baby. He's a baby, of the show. but he has more facial hair than you, so he looks older. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair. And then me. Yeah, so, I can't so maybe he looks, he looks oldest. <laughs> you also have like a thousand kids, so and I think each kid adds something <laughs> like 10 years. So you're like, that's really old at this point. I, I've um, heard a lot of people say that for every kid you have, you lose half of your brain. Uh, I so, that. so I'm, I'm done. <laughs> oh my God. What do you want to talk about? Yet? Yeah, I think we're recording. Yeah, yeah okay. I think we're all recording. This is the show. Is this the show? <laughs> yeah. Everybody check your levels. Check your levels. Level check. We're working on that. Level We're working check. on that. Checking, the problem checking is levels. When, I, when I laugh, it gets way louder. So yeah. So just don't laugh. It's fine. Yeah. Never laugh. It's totally it's fine as long as you don't laugh. So um, the biggest news I think that I've heard all week in the Elixir world, Erling world, is Erling 20, or OTP 21 came out. And then Elixir release 1.6.6, which supports Erlang 21. Like you can compile your stuff, but it doesn't support all the features of, of, oh, I keep saying Erlang, OTP 21. And, but that, that is pretty cool. And then I heard about yep. a new, new feature of continue in, in handle the continue. new gen server. Uh, handle yeah, handle continue. continue. Yeah, that's right. Which when I went to research it, found out that Jose submitted that, like a year ago oh, to, to OTP. That's awesome. Um, but I, I'm pretty excited about that. For folks that aren't familiar, do you want to maybe explain it a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so whenever you start a, a gen server, uh, the steps that it goes through in the back end are to assign its name to its PID. Uh, and, and your init call is actually pretty far down. So, which isn't too bad, but if you want to do like an after init, so um, you do like a process send after or just send back to yourself to have something like if you had something that was going to be blocking, you don't want that in your init. So you put it into a callback. If you do that, then there's a time period between the process being named and your callback coming in where other messages can come into your processes, especially if it's named like it's. 
if you want to do it without naming, you got to be able to hand the pit out to somebody else while you're setting up, which just seems crazy. So, so you have this gap, and the biggest problem where where things can occur is if you have a process that fails and it's restarting, and so other things are already trying to write messages to the to that named process. What continue does is um, in the the uh, timeout when you do a return in the timeout part of a an OTP return, so. Like you would do reply, whatever your reply is, your state, and then you can put in a timeout or a, is it called hibernate? I don't remember. Somebody help me out. Do you know? That seems Chris? right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that sounds right. Um, so if you pass in continue, like a tuple with uh, the atom continue and then whatever arguments you want to go to that, then you can have a handle continue callback. And it is grabbed and and processed before the mailbox is checked so your init can finish and return and then your the handle continue will take over and so your you like anything your your process isn't in the startup state anymore basically right so that, that, that makes point, sense right <laughs> so so you have a I'm going to say some of the things that you just said back to you to make sure that we get it right. Okay. But you have some process that needs to do some sort of long running thing or load a lot of state um, or whatever it is, some, some long expensive process and the way supervision trees start all their processes that are underneath them is uh, depth first and they all block. And right. so if you have some expensive thing in a process, it'll block until that thing is done. But uh, that might not be very useful for your system, or you might want to like avoid that. The method I see people use a lot is they, um, in their init callback, they'll send themselves a message. They'll send, they'll have that process send itself a message, which is like do the expensive load thing. But if it's a named process, you can't guarantee that that's the first message that right. that process will get, um, because someone else could be sending uh, messages to that name, in which case it would arrive in the mailbox first. And this is a way around that problem. Yeah, and, and currently I've seen people like send the message back to themselves if they get it, if their init process isn't done, that init mm -hmm. callback, um, which, you know, it's time consuming and it's it doesn't look great. And then there's um, proclib and I forget what else. If you go look at, at, at um, ranch documentation, they'll tell you about it because they need it for socket stuff. Uh, but there's there's a way to do this if you're using proclib and, and um, oh interloop gen server interloop if you use those two together it gives you some really fine grain control of your startup but it's I, I want to say esoteric it's it's a little hard to read if somebody doesn't know what is happening there they're like what the heck are you doing and we'll probably switch back to us and after and I think that continue is a much cleaner, more elegant solution. Um, I felt a little weird about it using the hibernate, you know, section where you put in a, a timeout, but I like it also that you can have, it doesn't just have to be on a knit, right? You could have uh, a handle call that does a reply and sends back some current data and maybe you need to process something after you send that back. So you can do a continue there and have that, Next thing, do some background processing. Let's say that you need to send some data, but then you need to write to the database. But you really don't, like the user doesn't need to wait for that writing to the database. Then that would be one 
one way that you could handle that pretty well. And so ever since I found out about this, I've been wanting to hop into Elixir's gen server and add support for it, but I've been been a little busy. Haven't been able to make it there. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that was my favorite feature because like it just made the ideas go in my head. I've used the send mm-hmm. after and stuff for for initializing a process and the um you know don't reply till later what is that called um like you get a you get a call but you you send no reply back Mm -hmm. and then you have another um message handler that actually ultimately does a reply i've done Mm -hmm. stuff like that but i think this is a a really nice way to to break that stuff up Mm -hmm. yeah this seems like a really good pattern it sounds like it i like it and you don't have to worry about the the standard gotchas, which is which are nice. You don't have to like mm-hmm. have those in the back of your mind whenever you're doing this. So that, that feels nice. It, totally. And it makes it very explicit. So the send after is not necessarily all that explicit to a lot of people. And if you if you document it well, they're not gonna they're not gonna go even go there. How about you, Anna? What have you been up to? In Elixir Land, uh, we're having the Elixir Bridge this weekend. Yay! Um, so shoring up some of the curriculum stuff. Um, there's a couple folks that actually want to contribute and write some new curriculum, which is rad. And I'm excited about that. And, um, as far as my own Elixir stuff, mostly outside of work right now, but, um, working on a project that I'm actually talking about at ElixirConf. It's just building on the crypto stuff I've been talking about before, but it's been really fun. So all of your talks have this theme. I really like that. That's Mm -hmm. like, like a group theme, (laughs) not just a single talk themed. (laughs) <laughs> two thing, two things that I'm interested in right now, which clearly Elixir I'm interested in because I'm here, um, <laughs> but also the craziness of the crypto world. So, and when you say crypto, you're talking about cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought so. I just wanted to clarify because no, 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 totally. that term is so overloaded now. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. It is very overloaded. A lot going on. Um, what about you, Chris? How's Anything interesting, especially with the new stuff at Bleacher Report or stuff that you're working on? Yeah. Um, the work stuff has been really good. Um, very challenging and very fulfilling. We're doing some cool stuff, which I, I can't um, talk too much about right now. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. And we're getting to, I'm getting to play around with some stuff uh, in Elixir that um, I've been wanting to be able to do for a while. And uh, we're, be, we're able to leverage um, some useful tools uh, to start solving some different kinds of problems, which are really cool. Um, and I th- that's exciting to me, uh, just on like a personal growth level. Um, so that's good. That part, that part's great. The, the rest of my Elixir front, I don't know. I'm just feeling really done like right now. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> this is a real downer. Like, I don't, we don't have to talk about this if y'all don't want to. Um, what, what are you feeling? I just, I feel just like, super burnt out i don't know and i don't really know why this is actually something i wanted to talk to you about with all the 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 different crypto things that you're working on and just get your take on it what's the motivation behind the kind of stuff that you do and then like how do you uh, what's the right way to put this you know how do you continue to find excitement or motivation or i hate using like passion and like words Mm -hmm. like that uh but you know how do you continue down like keep continue working on stuff like that um just you know on your own time when you got other stuff going on and like you have podcasts at it and like everybody <laughs> yeah, all this kinds of stuff and like people twice are, three times yeah and people are mad at you because like the levels weren't good for like 10 seconds or something like that <laughs> like, how do you know how do you continue to find motivation 
um, through all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. <laughs> um, and I ask myself, I mean, I think, I think what you're feeling is normal. I think everybody who gives their time, right, um, feels that at one point or another. And I, you know, I get there are moments where I'm like, I need to take a break. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. do anything for a month or whatever. Like, I just need to take a step back and regroup and chill and have some time to myself outside of work. Um, but I think what really he's motivated is, is trying to help build a community that I want to see. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like I want to see more diversity in the Elixir community. I want to see more underrepresented folks in the community. I want to see, you know, newer, new people speaking. Right. I want to see people sharing their ideas and feeling comfortable sharing their ideas, even if they're not super experienced yet. Right. Like I, there are a lot of things that I want to see. And I don't know. I feel like if I want to see those things, um, I need to try and make them happen. And I feel like because I'm in a position where I can try, then I should. I think those larger goals are what really keep me motivated. I think that got me really interested in crypto. I mean, I thought it was interesting for many reasons, like from the technology standpoint and currency and the politics and the economics of everything. But also there was all of this complexity or perceived complexity. And one of the reasons I wanted to start talking about it was I was like, wait, people are talking about it like this. It's, I mean, there is complexity. But it's also possible for everybody to understand what this thing is. And it doesn't need to be so obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, bringing more people in, in right? That's kind of my goal and has always been my goal in regards to most of the work that I do. And so that's what really keeps me motivating, partially because that's the community that I want to be a part of, right? Um, selfishly. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I mean, it totally does. I, I've been like... I've been fighting a lot recently uh, internally with like picking up all the open source stuff that I like ostensibly maintain. Um just because it's, it's like such a drag right now. Like, I don't know. Like it's, I got, I, there was like someone opened uh, some issues on like Wallaby the other day and a couple of days went by and I hadn't like responded to it. And then they were like, your lack of communication is really hindering us getting stuff done and like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, whatever. And the, the fact is, is like, that's probably true. And they probably have these real things and they're trying to like do their job as well. It's just, but at the same time, I'm like, ah, it's so hard to feel motivated to like work on this stuff. Um, same thing's true with like all the raft stuff I tried, I've, I've been trying to work on. Um, it's just like discouraging because half the questions I answer are just like, did you didn't actually even read the paper? I think it becomes discouraging because, or and at least like it becomes demotivating because the, the reason you build a thing, you know, or at least like some of the reasons I built these things are like, because they were problems that I had, or they were problems I saw in the community. And at some level, it's like, I think they're still important, but people are either not equipped to discuss them or they're not interested in discussing it or they're interested in like some facet of it that they think is useful, but they want to reinvent giant pieces of it. Or I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's demotivating because it's sort of like, wow, I was really hoping that like this would be a thing that would be super useful. But uh, I mean, I think I think part of it is is in distributed system stuff. Um people are naturally very distrustful of solutions, which is fair. Like that's a fair uh, feeling to have because this stuff is tricky and it's hard. And we've like seen up teen blog posts about how everything is broken. Everybody who works on this crap will tell you that it's broken and like, it's really hard to get right. And so I think there's a nat. it's like, there's, it's basically warning labels at this point, which is to say like, it's a piece of documentation that, everybody looks at and goes, well, that's not for me. That's for the people. That's for the dumb people. Like that's, that's for people who would mess these things up. Like I don't need a warning label. I'm smart. Like I'm not going to get hurt. Of course that's like when people get hurt, but I think there's a natural 
inclination to try to like build this stuff on your own. And I don't know, I just find it discouraging because I don't know, at some level it's like, it's all about it's, it's marketing and everything else. And you know, you just feel I like, I don't know, I sort of continuously feel like I've done a bad job or that I didn't, I've like spent a bunch of time like working on stuff that people don't like or is bad or isn't useful to the community or isn't, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it feels like time wasted, I guess. So I think that, I don't, I don't think that it's just distributed systems. I think in general, it's whether you're putting out open source software or a product or anything, especially when you're, when you're that close to it still like not, I'm, I'm sure that many people at Microsoft don't care about every little, they don't get every little detail, but when you're in like a startup or, or open source, you're really close to, to the, to the people using it, you get all their feedback, you get all of that on yourself. And, and when it's something that you are putting out there and you're putting yourself out there, it can feel like a personal attack or like you said, they didn't even read the paper or they read it and didn't understand it. And then they're coming in and trying to change things. So especially in open source, we go from, you know, inventor, uh, engineer, teacher, help desk, like you have all of these jobs and I, that's why the bigger, more successful open source projects usually have like a larger core team. And hopefully the community uh, starts to get big enough that they take that off of you. It's why all of my open source stuff is like 400 lines of code or less because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, Chris, like open source is hard, right? Like, especially when you're putting out your own projects, like Amos just said, like I think your feelings are totally natural because it's hard, regardless of whether it's like, teaching or putting on workshops or writing software or putting out, right? Like mm -hmm. it's hard. You're giving your free time to do something that you think will be helpful and people start using it. And then people have expectations. They don't necessarily know that like, Hey, this is being maintained by like one person who's giving of their free time. And so I think it's just hard. I think what you're feeling is totally normal. I also think like if it's not serving you, right. Then like there's also a point where you have to reevaluate and be like, well, is this project still serving me? Is it still serving my interest? Is there a way to shift? Or is it like I give it to the community and if somebody wants to pick it up and continue maintaining it, like that's totally a thing. You have to be okay with letting it go though. But you have to be okay too. with, yeah, it's you have to be okay hard. with letting it go. But if like, if you're done, then that's also something, right? Like that's why it is open source is you're like, okay, I maintain this for a little while and I really care about this thing, but you know what? I can't do this anymore. I give it to the open source community, right? Right. And I, I think that like let the letting go of things is really hard. Um, like I know I have I have real problems with that uh, because you sort of you start to develop a certain like, well, this is a big part of my self-identity. You know, this is like a big part of who I am or what I do or whatever. Um, and that starts to like feedback into like a in, a in a very, I think, negative way in a lot of cases, uh, at least for me. And the other problem is like, no one tells you that you're doing a good job. It's it's only criticism. And the thing is, is it's it's not like personal criticism. It's not like you are bad. It's, you know, this I had these problems or like this is wrong or why doesn't it do this? Or, you know, hey, you're not being responsive enough on these tickets or whatever. Like, I mean, like most of it is totally valid. And the people 
submitting issues aren't like malicious evil people mm-hmm. or whatever but all you see is like positive feedback or then people like duplicate your work and they're like eh, that was way too complicated and i'm going to do it a different way even though that way is like fundamentally flawed and isn't going to like actually work <laughs> you have to be okay with that but you have so to be I, okay you know, and, and that's fine that's fine but uh, what, uh, that's what i'm saying though is like i'm not sure that i'm cut out for that you know what i mean like i'm not sure that i'm I'm not sure that I'm cut out to be a maintainer of these things because of that. I don't, I I do take those things like somewhat personally. It's not indifferent to like, like the conversation we had last week with Jose and Chris, right. And some of the things that they deal with when people are like, I would like all of these things, please, because this thing is terrible and broken. And they were like, well, here's the reason behind all of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's similar, right? Like if you, it's, that's always going to happen, right. People can have really strong opinions as you know, we all do, especially in, uh, develop software development <laughs> and right on some level yeah if you're not okay with somebody being like well eh, i'm gonna do my own thing and re- maybe redo the whole thing then that is gonna be hard because it's gonna happen no i mean you're 100 percent right even if they do that though you made something that they got into enough and you in some way inspired them to try to try to do something else and so that that is also a benefit to the community. And although mm-hmm. you may not agree with their approach or it might just not actually work and you can be like, hey, no, you, you, there, there's some mathematical, whatever, there's some proof that your version doesn't work. That's, that's, you got to be okay with that. And, and don't take that upon yourself. Uh, and- that was their choice to go out and do something different. And maybe they learned a lot along the way. I used to, hear a guy complain about and the specific ORM, not going to talk about it, but over and over. And every time he would complain about it, I would say, go write your own, go write your own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. go write your own. And then one day he wrote his own <laughs> and, and they used it in production f- for over a year. I think he worked on it and he was in charge of the team, set it up on, they were using it on production. There was a lot of frustration and he started to learn why these choices were made in the ORM, but he couldn't see it until he tried. Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. maybe that's what some of those people are doing too. They're not going to see it till they try, or they might amaze you. And and, and it's, it's hard to take that step back. And to, and to Amos's point, Chris, it really just, I think, depends also on your goals, right? Like, what are your goals with the thing that you're putting out there? Mm-hmm. Um, like, we've been doing Elixir Bridge workshops for a couple of years. Some of them are really small, right? We only get a few people. But if I, in the whole time that I'm doing this, right, get a couple people that are like, this is really awesome, or functional programming makes more sense, or Elixir is rad, or like, yeah, I want to dive more into this, or I feel more comfortable coming to these events, right? Like, that's a win for me. Even if it's only one or two people, that's a win, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, what is the goal? If people are becoming more interested in distributed systems, even if they're taking a deeper look, even if they're just starting to get the, maybe you might be very well ahead of your time with some of this stuff in the sense that like, a larger percentage of the pop in the sense that like a larger percentage of the population that's working with Elixir isn't maybe ready, right, for what you've built. I don't know, maybe that's not the case. But um what are your goals, right? Who are you helping? And if the couple of people that are coming to you, like, oh, they haven't read the paper, but maybe they will, right? Or maybe they at least are diving in a little deeper and a couple of years from now they're gonna be like, oh yeah, maybe go back to that thing, because that was cool and now I understand it better. Mm-hmm. Um so I think being clear about like what is your goal with the thing that you're putting out there. Yeah, that motivation is, I think that's the key thing. And I think that's, but that's also hard 
Um, and I think this is potentially why I'm not a very good open source maintainer, because I don't know that I have good motivations for these things in the sense that I solve problems that I see in front of me. And at some point, I'm just sort of like, I don't have these problems anymore. So I don't know what else to do with this now. And but it's like it's it's hard to get that feedback. And it's also hard to feel motivated to, like, keep working on certain things because you're like, well, I don't have the problem that I had now. So it's does that make sense? Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, or it's hard to or work half on a tool of it is just like, need. yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Or, or a tool that it feels like no one else wants, right? That's the other part of this. And I think that's the more sort of demoralizing thing is like, because marketing is like such a key part of open source stuff, which it is, I mean, that's like the majority of it, right? If you're putting something out there for the point of like, I want people to use this, I think it could be beneficial to people. And then everybody says, well, I don't want this. Or like at least like sends you that sort of economic signal that they don't want it. That's fine. I think it's disheartening. And I think that's also discouraging, at least for me, in the sense that like it very naturally discourages you from continuing to work on a thing because it feels like nobody wants it. And that's not bad. Like you don't have to make it like an emotional case about that, but it does sort of rob your motivations for doing it. Whereas I think like if you can divine a more sort of um uh altruistic or uh, just generally like higher level motivation that like is more almost foundational. You know what I mean? Like, like Anna, you're saying I want to make everything about this more accessible. And that's the, that's like, that's what drives you. Um, having those sorts of motivations is so key to, to like continuing the effort and like continuing to put one foot in front of the other. But I also think that divining those sorts of motivations, at least for me is like, very very challenging yes um because i don't know that my motivations are pure and i don't know that my motivations are uh, yeah i don't know i don't know what they i don't know what they are for, for a lot of this stuff and i think that becomes a huge barrier to wanting to continue putting effort to this i'm sorry this is like super i'm again doing my thing where i'm like talking too much and this is like no but banner. i mean i think this is like an interesting but. discussion <laughs> as far as like i think open source work is really hard right in general um in the sense that like it takes a lot of work it's often thankless um and so again yeah having really clear idea of like why you're doing what you're doing and if it's not serving you anymore then like that's the other nice thing about open source is like you could just stop yeah right like mm -hmm. if it's not serving you anymore and you're like i've gotten at what i need to get out of this mm -hmm. um you can just you can just either try if you really want to like try and find another maintainer if somebody's super stoked on it or like hey i'm giving this to the community does anybody want to take over maintaining it right like that's totally okay. And then you can move on to other things that you're interested in that motivate you because everyone's motivations are different, but especially because you're giving of your time and this is your personal free time, right? Like I wouldn't feel bad about like, Hey, I don't feel motivated to do this thing. I don't want to do it anymore. Build a tool for you when it's no yeah. longer useful for you. Allow other people to take it or yeah. go look at the number of downloads on hex and if if you're the only one that's ever downloaded it don't worry about it just leave it there but like like anna said it's thankless you're not you're not going to see the people that don't have a problem with it very often yeah, exactly. unless you just change their entire life then you might get a thank you because uh, if i thanked every single maintainer of every open source software that i used uh i would never actually get to use the software because i'd still be thanking people right now right yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, open source software is important, right? Like, it has changed the world. I think it's amazing, right. and I think it's incredible. I think the people that are doing the work are incredible. 
Um, on the other side of that, though, I still think it's like everybody, I think if you ask any open source maintainer, they'll say, regardless of what their motivations are, it's hard um, for any project, no matter how big or, I mean, it's harder when it's big, but like, or how small, right? So um, I think it's totally valid. I think, I wonder what we could do as a general community of people who use the software to be more aware of that, right? Um, I'm sure I have, or everybody at some point has been like, hey, maintainer of this project, why aren't you responding to my PR? I need to update this thing so that mm -hmm. I can use it for this other thing that I'm doing. Um, and that's a hard probably, position to be in as a user. Too. Yeah, exactly, right? So that, 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 that thing that we're like, oh, wait, we all, I think sometimes we all forget, wait, free software <laughs> built by somebody else on their time, wait, respond to me, please, right? Um, and so navigating that, right? It's hard as a user because you're like, I want to use this thing and I want to use open source software, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it's hard as the maintainer, but I don't know how to bridge that, right? Uh, it's hard on both ends, but on the people actually building the software, it's really hard. When I read issues and people are, are grumpy too, or coming back and saying, hey, I, I put this in yesterday and you haven't said anything. Mm -hmm. I, I try to take a step back and think of, you know, the time when you're at work and you're, four days into a problem you're trying to figure it out you're mad and angry and frustrated and don't feel like your boss couldn't even shouldn't even pay you because you haven't done crap for a week and then you find out that it's a bug in some open source project and you don't know how to fix it mm -hmm. and then that's where they come in so i try to put myself and say okay i just assume that that's where they were whenever they're mm -hmm. grumpy like that um, oh totally but then as a person putting in a request, uh, I also try to remember, like, I will often, that's when I do say thank you. Is, hey, mm -hmm. thanks thanks for this uh, product that I'm using. It's pretty fantastic. I have this problem. Maybe you can help me out with it. And I wonder if maybe even a little bit of that would go a long way when you are a user of open source software, acknowledging the efforts that the maintainers have put in before you say... Hey, Your please shit help sucks. me. <laughs> or, or please help me, right? Um, I feel like maybe that would go a long way. Um, I don't know. I and, and then I also think when you're on bigger projects and people put something in there and then say nobody responded, they just know that there's a lot of people using it, so they they assume that there should be a response rather quickly. It's different whenever you're working with a project that has mainly one developer. And a couple mm -hmm. PRs coming in. Yeah, I, I have one, what I would consider, um, I don't know, more altruistic, not not for me project out there, uh, the Grove Pie project. And I don't get to put enough time into it. And But luckily, I don't get very many pull requests anymore. Or not pull requests, but, but complaints. Um, and I would like to put more time into that. But like like you're saying about the other stuff is if you're not using it all the time mm -hmm. it, it really is easy to say that's a back burner problem and i think if there's you know is there are there other things that you're excited about right would it making one of these would it be easier to let one of these projects go if you're like oh hey there's this other thing that i might want to do and put out there into the world yeah that's probably reasonable like i think at some point you end up with so much to do that it becomes hard to parse anymore you know you, you just like you're just it's the whole like you, you now you're just staring at the elephant. And you know you just need to eat it one bite at a time, but at the same time it's an elephant. Like it's it's uh hard to like even figure out where to start on that. So I don't know. It's 
I think that's probably the most reasonable thing. And then you have to deal with the sort of like emotional, like imposter syndrome crisis of like, well, I'm about to give up a thing that like helped shape this self identity and help shape, you know, this, this way that I look at myself or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the imposter syndrome is a whole, we can talk about that, <laughs> but like, that's a whole, I mean, Chris McCord even said it on the last podcast, right? Like, I think it's something that most people feel at, um, but most people feel right. Uh, I was going to Stockholm. Um, I was a little nervous about speaking at, in Stockholm because there's some, I mean, all the conferences are awesome, but it felt like some heavy duty. Erlang mm-hmm. folks going to be there. Um, I was talking to one of my mentors and she was like, you know, true confidence doesn't really have an end state, right? Like we're all going to feel imposter syndrome for maybe ever, right? At some point or another. Um, and I think that's totally normal, right? Like you're doing the best you can. You're doing great work, right? Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know the best way to deal with that because I think everybody feels that on some level or another. I can't imagine what it would be like to be, you know, Chris or Paul or some of these people who have like these huge libraries that everybody's using and, uh, you know, having to field all of that and have that just be such a, you know, overarching, like consuming part of your life. Um, I don't, I, I don't know how, you know, they, they cope with that emotionally, like, you know, and I don't get, I, I barely get anything on like relatively speaking, uh, like in terms of feedback on my, on my stuff. And, and that's enough to sort of push me over the edge. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's tough. I mean, you have to, I think it's sort of for, for better or for worse or whatever, you have to have like real thick skin about this kind of stuff. Uh, and you either develop it or you or you just walk away because you don't have it Im- immediately. But yeah, I don't even know what it would be like to to be in their shoes. Right. And I mean, and that's I think the, lo- the bigger the project gets, the harder it is to walk away from because so many people are using it. Yeah. If, if either of it, like, let's say like Chris wanted to walk away from Phoenix, you know what I'm saying? Like, how how can he? Like, like, I mean, now there's imagine, a team, so it's probably a little bit easier. But yes, I would imagine. it. Well, would like be. logistically, he probably yes. could. But I mean, I know yeah. from. I mean, just, you know, being honest about my own life, you know, I, it's hard for me to walk away from the open source projects that I have and the tools that I have or like, um, to certain things that I've done, uh, before just because it does, it becomes part of like who you are as a person that becomes part of like how you see yourself and how you, you know, you feel like other people see you. And so like walking away from it is giving up like a part of your life and a part of, a part of, you know, your own personal, yeah, self. I can't imagine being attached to a thing that was so big and I'm not saying Chris feels this way. I have no idea. You know what I mean? But I'm just like, if he ever did want to, you know, walk away from it, how could he like, it's, I I can't even imagine that kind of feeling just because, you know, or if Paul wanted to be like, I'm done with distillery. I don't ever want to work on this ever again. But, but also like, how could he, because it's like this huge thing. It's, it's interesting to me from a psychological standpoint. um, Mm -hmm. and, And I'm not, saying that they feel that way or whatever. I'm just, I also look at my own life and I'm sort of like, I don't even know how I would, it'd be an interesting thing to have to like cope with. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't, my stuff is not nearly to that scale. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I wonder what your thoughts are, especially when you go back to like imposter syndrome, right. Or like the value that you like, it's, it's, I think it's hard. Like if you put something out there and then you get either very little feedback or no feedback thinking that it doesn't have value or that you're not doing a good job or whatever. 
I mean, again, going back, Chris was saying he even felt like imposter syndrome a little bit. Like, what? I don't know if you have thoughts. I'm always, I think about this a lot from a psychological perspective. Like, why does it exist? Like, why do we all walk around with this feeling of like, I don't know, right? Even though, Chris, you've been working with Elixir for a while, right? You're clearly very skilled in it, right? Um, so, I, I think I'm I not, saw not really. imposter syndrome on your face right there. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to see the video of me making that, like, no way face. That's why I had to say it. <laughs> I'm not actually an Elixir. I'm not actually knowledgeable about Elixir. I just play one on TV. Oh, um, there you go. There you go. Um, I don't know. I mean... What your what y'all's thoughts are, or how you all deal with it, or if you even feel it or not, but it seems to be pretty common with almost everybody I talk to at one point or another. And yet, how do we deal with it? Right? I talk to people, <laughs> like go to local meetups, talk all the time. Not necessarily stand up in front of the room and talk, but sometimes do that, and that helps me overcome it to a point. It it also, you know, I go into it and I'm thinking this is gonna be the worst talk ever and nobody's gonna get anything out of it and then but right after i give it when people usually people are like thankful or even in a conversation Mm -hmm. if somebody says hey that's something i never heard before like those kind of things make me uh feel a lot better uh about my place in it all and my skills Mm -hmm. um do i feel like an expert no will i ever feel like an expert probably not do the experts feel like experts? None of them that I think are experts feel that they are. So Yeah, no, that's the most interesting thing about it all, right? It's all the beginner, well, the the like intermediate people that I know that think that they're experts. <laughs> that's the thing. I think the deeper you get into it, the more you realize uh, how much you don't know about things. I mean, that's in, in life, right? The more you know, the more you realize how much, how little you actually know, right? Yeah, and it's uh, terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think there is a level at which you sort of realize like, wow, I really don't know anything. And then the next level beyond that is like, wow, I don't know anything, but that's okay. Yeah, and, exactly. and you get comfortable with it. Right. Um, how long, how long have you been smarter than your parents? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then one day you're right. like, Oh, I always tell everybody every year, my parents get smarter. Uh huh. I'm still smarter sure. than them, but they do get smarter. But they do get smarter. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, my mother's been a software engineer for like 20 years like that anyway long time and i talk to her sometimes she's like the only difference now is like i'm really comfortable with the fact that like maybe i don't know the thing but i'll figure it out right like i used to be nervous and i'd be feel like oh i should know more blah blah blah. she's like, the only difference now is like it's fine like i don't know the thing but you know there's a lot i don't know and I'll figure mm-hmm. it out i have to fight that so often even in mm-hmm. this especially you know i'm noticing it myself more and more having started this new job um, and coming in with a certain skill set with specific tools and stuff like that and, and feeling, uh, deep down that I need to sort of like step up and, you know, my, again, like imposter syndrome and insecurity and everything else, uh, rears up in me like some sort of like dark beast. And it's, I, I feel compelled to be like, step in and be like, oh, well actually it works this way and be like that guy. Or, you know, to always have answers and to not feel... Minus minus the well, actually. Yeah. (laughs) But but you know what I mean? Like, you you feel compelled to to be an expert, even if you aren't. Even And, and like, logically, you can say, like, I don't actually know this, but I'm going to pretend that I do. And you feel that sort of... Those impulses. And it honestly, it takes a lot to sort of... At least for me, 
to 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 fight that and be like, actually, I have no idea how that works. We will totally go find that out, though. I bet I can Google around and get answers to that. Um, and that still, I mean, this says, I mean, this is probably says like way too much about me and my like deeply fragile ego, <laughs> but it's still a thing I have to fight against um, because my natural inclination is to sort of like put up that barrier and and hide behind it and to be vulnerable and say, oh, well, actually, I have no idea. That's still a hard impulse to like to fight against. You need a hobby that you know nothing about and a local meetup to go to <laughs> for it. <laughs> That'll put you in that spot of having to be wrong. I think it's important. I think it's I mean, number one, like if you want to get good at something, go surround yourself with people who know a lot more about it than you. And you'll like uh -huh. sort of naturally pick up a bunch of this stuff. And then I think the, the 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 other thing that goes along with that is to put yourself in situations where you are uncomfortable where you don't yes. know things where mm -hmm. you're the novice and you, yep. you know, you're having to learn, pick up these new skills or whatever. I think that's totally great advice. And I also think, I don't know, I don't know, as an industry in general, like we have, I feel like there's, you know, it's, it should be more okay to be wrong, especially when you're learning or you're new or whatever. Right. And I feel mm -hmm. like there's this often this, and maybe this is something that we all create as thoughts in our heads that isn't real, but many scenarios where it doesn't feel like it's okay to voice an idea or opinion because, oh, maybe you don't have the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, and so you wait until you only have the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't help with feelings of imposter syndrome. It doesn't help with like asking questions, right? Um, if you don't know, right, but you're afraid to be wrong, but you don't ask the question, then how do you, you know, A, how do you get the information that you need? But B, like maybe you still are shedding to light something that will, you know, give others a different idea of how to think about the problem, right? Yeah, and the dirty secret is that, like, most people don't know. Most people are still going to go do research and find out. And there there aren't, there really aren't that many black and white answers to these sorts of problems. It's like, well, it's all based, it's couched in context. And you know, our famous answer of it depends. You, you have to look at the actual world holistically of the problem you're trying to solve and then apply the techniques and tools and experience and research to be able to go try to solve it. Uh, and that's a thing that I don't think we talk about enough in order to learn, in order to get good at things. Like you also have to be psychologically safe. Like you have to be in a place where mm -hmm. you feel like you can fail yes. and that's not going to have reprisal. Yep. You know, and I've worked at places that were terrible at this. Um, luckily where I am now, I think folks are generally really good about it, but I think you can't have the thing where you yourself internalize it. If you don't have an environment that is also supportive of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more you see that kind of behavior modeled where people are asking questions and it's okay, et cetera, et cetera, um, I think it's easier to internalize. I think otherwise it's almost impossible. And I think that just goes back to like what drives you, right? Like if you're driven by what, what's the goal of the project, like what drives you to keep moving it forward? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think you're right. Like if it's, an ex if it's external feedback, it's much harder to stay motivated. I, I would go so far as to say like if you're motivated by external feedback, when it comes to this stuff, you're, you're, you will walk away from it. Don't do open source to become famous. Right. Like <laughs> if that, if your, your motivations do have to come from somewhere inside of you because otherwise you won't continue to do this stuff. Um, yeah. It's just not fun enough. Sorry. That was a bit of a bummer. No, <laughs> it's not a bummer. I mean, like, I think it's a real thing that we talk about because I think that's, you're not, you're, these feelings are not unusual to you, right? Like, I think we all have these types of feelings. Um, you know, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I have a workshop this weekend. Right. Super excited about the workshop, but also, oh, man, it would be nice to just have a day to chill. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's normal. And I think talking about it isn't a bad thing. I think we need to talk about it more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of normalize the fact that this work is hard. It's okay, Chris. You're just like everybody else. <laughs> the takeaway here is handle continue in OTP 21 is going to be really nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, the that's the takeaway. Also, the compiler is going to be better, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. There you go. Uh, any last thoughts before we wrap up? No, I said everything I needed to say. <laughs> Me too. I feel like Amos. Do you have any more thoughts? I feel like Chris and I talked a lot. This oh no, I I was uh, I was listening. I think I said everything that I needed. All right, y'all. Well, have a good have a good day. All right, you too. Bye. Bye.